word formulaic is usually employed as a pejorative term, but I don't believe that a film is inherently inferior if it follows a familiar narrative pattern. In fact, some of my favorite idioms of cinema, from kaiju to slasher movies, tend to follow a well-trod path. That being said, my enjoyment of a formulaic film lies within its ability to add interesting riffs and variations to the recognizable structure. I also have to possess some kind of affinity to the formula itself for me to be able to enjoy it, which I think should go without saying. So yeah, I'm not an especially big fan of the DreamWorks assembly line. I don't like the arched eyebrows, the celebrity stunt casting, the on-the-nose needle drops, the obvious moralizing, uh, the pop culture references in lieu of jokes and the dance party endings. None of those things really appeal to me. But uh, Rachel insisted that Megamind is different, so that's her pick for this one. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. And I'm Rachel back once again. Yeah, Megamind is my pick, but I didn't pick it because I thought it was different than other DreamWorks movies. Honestly, I am pretty, uh, I don't know, contemptuous of most like recent animated movies i thought frozen was bad i didn't bother to see frozen 2 i think that brave tangled and a lot of the other new disney movies are just blah and boring i would rather watch megamind again than you know watch it and maybe i have a slight nostalgia goggles on i did see you know megamind when it came out 11 years ago mind you i was still like a teenager but I really like this movie, and it's something that my friends and I, you know, want. So I'll be, you know, a bit more um, defensive of it than I need to. I mean, it is pretty formulaic, I'm not gonna lie, but I feel like it's not super. What would happen if Superman was evil? It's more like, what would happen if we gave Superman's powers to an incel? That is an element of it. I was about to ask why Megamind is special to you, because even people who are, like, into DreamWorks, like, they're all aboard the Shrek train, they, they tend to overlook this one. Yeah, I mean, Shrek has a special place in my heart because I'm going to date myself real bad. I won tickets to go see Shrek in the theater in a dance party contest that my shitty apartment complex was having at the pool, and I danced to an NSYNC song, and I won, and we all saw Shrek. But I don't know. I think it's funny. I mean, I'm more so than Ryan. I am a huge sucker for dark looks at superheroes. And I'm using with quotation marks because Megamind is is not that. It's not a dark movie. Although, since we are going to talk more later about like Superman is evil stories. Like, I think this is Brightburn is bad. But at least Megamind is, is kind of looking at it in a different way. Like how and he turns into Titan. It's not something that he was born into and got tired of humanity. He was already a bad person when he was given the powers. Yeah, we'll uh, get back to that when we cycle to the thematic bits at the end of the Mm -hmm. episode. But first, the plot recap. Yeah. This begins with a really long monologue from Will Ferrell as Megamind, which details the background of the characters. The story centers on Megamind and Metro Man. Both are aliens sent to Earth from their respective dying planets, but their upbringings are markedly different. Metro Man is found by wealthy parents, and he grows into a superhero who defends Metro City, Michigan from the supervillain plot of Megamind. His little baby rocket crash-landed in a prison, mm-hmm. and I guess they just kept him there as a baby in prison he was raised (laughs) by the bad guys like nobody intervened like let's get this blue child away from the hardened criminals i mean except for the 
criminally gifted. So it's not like they sent him to Supermax or something. Negamind, as he was being stuffed into the rocket, he was given this talking fish named Minion, who, when he grows up, Megamind builds him a mechanical gorilla suit that is reminiscent of Robot Monster. Yeah. The film opens with Megamind escaping from prison via hologram, kidnapping reporter Roxanne Ritchie, that's our Lois Lane analog. I love Roxanne. <laughs> and he lures Metro Man to a copper-lined observatory. <laughs> Since copper just happens to be Metro Man's only weakness, <laughs> he is killed in the ensuing battle and Megamind conquers the city. However, without an adversary, Megamind loses his sense of purpose. <laughs> Looking to destroy the recently opened Metro Man Museum, it gives him painful memories. Megamind spots Roxanne inside and quickly disguises himself as museum curator Bernard. He finds himself growing attracted to Roxanne in the ensuing discussion as he's trying to hustle her out before the bomb goes off. During their discussion, he gets the idea to create a new superhero to fight, something that Minion is opposed to. <laughs> He develops a superpower serum from Metro Man's DNA. He found a piece of dandruff on the cape. Yeah, and, and it's basically a giant pill. <laughs> but this is complicated by the fact that Roxanne has tracked down Megamind's hideout, along with her cameraman, the very smitten, uh, I've already forgotten his name. Hal. Hal. Yeah. <laughs> Hal Stewart. He's named after two different Green Lanterns. Yeah, I kind of I thought that this time around, and... Yeah, he's the incel I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's a dim-witted cameraman for Star Reporter Roxanne, and he's really into her and creeping on her quite a bit, and you shouldn't simp for your boss. That doesn't end well. No, not at all. I mean, he's just, the, I don't know. It's like he's really creepy, but I feel like every woman knows at least five of these guys. <laughs> Megamind inadvertently hits Hal with the superpower ray, but he tries to make the best of it, even though he could reverse the process. Minion would really like him, yeah. too. <laughs> he notes that Hal is pretty open suggestion, so Megamind easily convinces him to begin a crusade against crime under the name of Titan. Yes. Now, you want it to be Titan as in, you know, the ancient Greek yeah. god-type figures, but... Hal thinks it's spelled Titan as in, like, T-I-G. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know, I like, like tighten your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie is weirdly interested in dogberryisms. Like, one of the running gags is Megamind yes. pronounces things weird. Yes, he like says, I feel a strange melancholy, or whatever, instead of, like, melancholy. Yeah. <laughs> While that's going on, Megamind continues to build a romantic relationship with Roxanne as Bernard. Yeah, we kind of forgot the part where um, he's training uh, Hal as Titan by pretending to be this very, like, bad Marlon Brando impression of Kal-El, I mean, of Jor-El. And he's got Minion in a wig and an apron as, your space stuff, Mom. Uh, yes, yes, Will Ferrell does a not very good Marlon Brando impression during the I mean, training I think, montage. I think that's the point, that it sounds bad. Will Ferrell was never really that much of an impressionist. Like, his mm. best impression is George W. Bush, which is... That's easy, you just squint and sound dumb. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> it, it was funny, but it wasn't accurate. I mean, it was probably better than Chevy Chase as Ford, though, let's it, be honest. Yeah, I'll give it with that. <laughs> 
Megamind schedules a fight with Hal once he thinks that Titan is ready, but he has a falling out with Minion because Minion has figured out that he's getting sweet on Roxanne and he thinks that's only going to end in heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Minion knows that Roxanne's not a dummy. She's going to figure out that Bernard is Megamind in disguise and that's mm -hmm. going to hurt the guy because he's pretty sheltered. Spent yes. his whole childhood in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't know how to talk to people. Mispronounces words. He's like, he answered the phone instead of hello. He says, hello. <laughs> yeah. Because no one has ever called him on the phone before. <laughs> I mean, granted, in our year of the Lord, 2021, who the hell calls people on the yeah, phone anymore? But this is 2010. The phone call still happened, yeah, kids. Everybody Believe has me. smartphones still. Hal, as Titan, tries to whisk Roxanne away because he thinks that now that he has power, mm -hmm. she'll fall in love with him, even though she was never that into Metro Man. Yeah, although, honestly, the scene where... Um... Titan kidnaps Roxanne is absolutely terrifying for anyone who has ever been in the situation with a man they can't quite escape and don't know how he's going to react. And I'm terrified of heights, so just her being stuck on top of a building is like, I wouldn't want that to happen to me, because if he just decides to drop her while they're flying around, she's dead. You know, he's toying with her, showing off, yes, but it's sort of like that if you don't do what I say, or like me the way I want you to, I'm going to hurt you. I mean, I didn't look at the scene that way, but now that you pointed it out, it's pretty obvious, yeah. Yeah. Once Roxanne finally gets that through to Hal, he swoops away dejectedly, leaving her at the top of the building. That makes her late for her date with Bernard, and they're chatting amiably for a bit. However, when they finally lean into the kiss in the middle of the restaurant over the table, that's got to be uncomfortable. She touches his little hologram watch, and yes. he turns to the Megamind yes. mid-smooch. Yeah, and he's just like, don't look at me! Like, the baby starts crying. <laughs> The signpost for Megamind's development as a character and how he's interpreted throughout the city is mm -hmm. babies being horrified at the sight of him. I think it might be the same baby all three times. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of a couple babies that they just use for again and again. I mean, they probably just use the same one considering that... Um, it's supposed to be like a thematic motif. Yeah, or I would say small budget. Oh, this had a very big budget, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. As a furious Roxanne storms out because Megamind's been uh, tricked her. <laughs> the whole way through, Megamind chases after her in the rain and realizes the depth of his interest in her as he vainly attempts to weasel out of his trickery mm -hmm. and in the process loses track of his invisible car and that diffuser power ray that's inside the car in the process. Mm -hmm. Put a pin on that. That's going to come up in the third act, believe it or not. <laughs> After Titan fails to show up for the big fight the next day, Megamind goes to Hal's apartment and discovers that he has turned to super villainy after Roxanne's rejection. Yeah, he just stole, like, a bunch of video games, some speakers, a lot of money, you know. Yeah, and this yes. is cartoon money, so just big sacks with dollar signs on them. Titan suggests a villain alliance, but Megamind is not into that. He goads him into a brawl by revealing that he is both Marlon Brando's space daddy... And the intellectual and deed, uh, dweeb that is dating Roxanne. <laughs> this enrages Titan to the point of homicide, yeah. which Megamind doesn't figure out right away. He still yeah. thinks it's the superhero supervillain game mm -hmm. that he went through so many times before with Metro Man. Yeah. <laughs> 
However, once he figures out that Titan has no intention of arresting him, he eventually manages to escape, but not before he attempts to imprison Titan in a ball of copper, which... <laughs> the failsafe! That fails to do anything, which confuses the hell out of Megamind. Also, that's going to come up again soon. Yeah, because, like, the copper powers away from, uh, you know, Metro Man. Hmm. But not really. Yeah, of course. Once Megamind slips away, Titan begins ravaging the city indiscriminately. The mayor's like, oh, you saved us from Megamind. He's like, no, no, I'm I'm king supervillain yeah, of the city like, now. Yeah, he's like, more like under new man. Megamind tracks down Roxanne and persuades her to take him to Metro Man's hidden lair to find some clues as to how to defeat Titan. There, they find a very much alive Metro Man. Very bearded. <laughs> yeah, Metro Man had just been consumed by Anway through the repetitive fights of saving yeah. the city, and it just started wearing thin on him. Like, even during the little speech in front of the Metro Man Museum, he says this little line about, what would I be without you people to save? And something along those lines. Yeah. Like, oh, that's going to mean something different when you get later on in the movie. That's, yeah. that's one of the two or three things in this that was almost clever. <laughs> he decided to fake his vulnerability to copper and then, like, you know, threw, like, a med, med lab. School, a med school dummy through the window. Yeah. <laughs> in order to get out of the superhero racket in favor of pursuing music. He's decided to call himself Music Man so he doesn't have to change his logo. Yeah, and he sings and plays the guitar badly. <laughs> now, despite the fact that Titan is overthrowing the city, Metro Man refuses to come out of fake death retirement, but reassures Megamind that another hero will rise to thwart Titan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just assume that everything is going to work out for the best, just like Voltaire would be in favor of. <laughs> Feeling responsible for perhaps the first time in his life, Mega Man ignores Roxanne's pleas to fight Titan himself and just surrenders to the police. Mm -hmm. Roxanne goes to her backup plan of trying to appeal to Titan's sense of decency, which that doesn't work, yeah. and winds up getting tied to the network tower of Metro City that she rejected Titan in earlier in that really scary scene, now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Using her as a hostage, Titan challenges Megamind to a final showdown. Megamind appeals to the prison warden, and after apologizing for all the crappy things that he's been doing, is surprised to discover that the warden is really minion in disguise. Yay, minion! <laughs> Megamind confronts Titan and tries to fool him with a Metro Man hologram. But Titan ultimately recognizes Megamind's speech patterns. Yeah, he says, instead of Metro City, he says Metrocity. Yeah, he can't pronounce <laughs> his home city correctly. It works into the plot. <laughs> During the fight, Roxanne discovers that the invisible car is nearby and points it out to him. Mm -hmm. Then Megamind is able to break in, grab the diffuser gun, and uses it to drain Titan's powers. After Hal's arrested, Megamind is celebrated by Metro City as a hero, you know, because he solved the problem that he caused. Hooray. Megamind and Roxanne begin a romantic relationship in earnest as a Megamind museum is being opened. And during the commencement speech, a disguised Metro man congratulates his old foe. The end. Oh. 
in the after credit scene, Bernard is pulled out of limbo because Megamind had banished him in the first act. And he, Megan, uh, he dehydrated him into a cube and then he got put him in the washing machine and rehydrated him. So he's like spinning around the washing machine. So it takes Megamind months to do his laundry. He must have a lot of capes. I mean, he, he uh, doesn't... apparently capes that can go on the washing machine. All right, production of this film. It was first pitched as a live action film, which I was surprised to discover. I think it would have been kind of interesting, but I feel like every other, like, you know, not mainstream superhero movie that's kind of like that usually doesn't seem to do very well or make much of an impact. All I can think of is Super with Rain Wilson and Elliot Page, and that... Well, there was also that Will Smith thing, Hancock. Yeah, all right. I think that might be the most prominent one. Yeah. Like, within this sort of idiom. Uh, it had the uh, working titles of Ubermind and Mastermind. Mastermind had, was taken, so they ended up going with Megamind. And Megamind works. He's a big old head. Yep. <laughs> the film itself had about 100,000 storyboards. Uh, Metro City took up one terabyte of disk space, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. There were about 90,000 distinct buildings and roads that were rendered. Several of the shots in the film took 24 hours of continuous rendering to finalize, with one taking 50 hours. That being said, this film came out in 2010, and it looks like it. Uh, CGI animation has advanced quite a bit. Uh, Everyone's a little too smooth. Yeah, I mean, Roxanne's hair is pretty good, but sometimes it's just kind of like, it's too silky. (laughs) It doesn't quite Oh, right. <laughs> There's a bit of plasticity. It brings me back to Henson's Law that you know any kind of CGI, no matter how impressive for its day, is going to look a bit dated within 10 years, yeah. whereas cool puppets always look cool. It, yep. Always go with puppets. I mean, I, mi- I miss 2D animation, like mainstream 2D animation. Yeah, it's just too time-consuming, I guess, and people are used to the you know whiz-bang camera angles everywhere, 3D stuff. Ugh. The bit that we've talked about already where Titan flies Roxanne around the city and the, mm-hmm. his very little incelness, that was the most elaborate shot. That required 3,500 layers of compositing. In the last few weeks of the production, Guillermo del Toro, of all people, was brought in for consultation. He was a bit more involved in later DreamWorks animated films, but he did get a couple of uh, suggestions into play in Megamind. For example, the film opening with our titular character plummeting to his doom and then recounting how he got to that position that was apparently del toro's idea you know what? i'm not surprised i always forget that del toro had a hand in this but i am not surprised it's about a monster who's actually good and the people who love him del toro yeah, and yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the conventionally attractive woman makes out with the yeah. deformed creature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not not that Megamind is like super deformed, it's a blue guy with a big head. <laughs> and very expressive green eyes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to the cast of this. First, we have Will Ferrell as Megamind, which in my social circle, Will Ferrell is something of a contentious figure. But um, when I was a young teenager, uh, like 14 or 15, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell was dominating Saturday Night Live. And the best period in Saturday Night Live is whenever you were 15, because you were old enough to stay up late on Saturdays, but you couldn't go out and do anything fun. So you end up watching Saturday Night Live and you get into that particular cast. I'm guessing it might be different now because you can just watch the two good sketches on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I never watched SNL Live. I just watched the good sketches on YouTube or whatever people are talking about. Yeah, I think the millennial generation is the last one that would watch that show as it was appearing. 
for me, the, the Will Ferrell period was the cast that I got into, and I gave that guy a lot of slack. I still think Anchorman is pretty funny, but yeah, his shtick wore out real fast. I don't even like Elf, and everyone likes Elf. I, I don't care about Elf. By the time I watched Anchorman, I had already a new art. I knew all the jokes already. I did watch Talladega Nights in theaters. Jesus Christ. And that movie, I have only never needed to see it once. Let's just leave it at that. Honestly, Megamind is my favorite Will Ferrell role. He's not especially playing a Will Ferrell character in this. Yeah. Like, I was expecting more Ferrellisms. He's not mm-hmm. raising his voice for weird reasons for no particular purpose. Yeah. Maybe he's just better with voice acting because I remember like before he blew up, he was in the show called The Oblongs, which I have pretty fond memories of. He was the dad in that, and I thought his performance in that was fine. He's good at Lord as Lord Business in the Lego movie. Yeah, that one, everyone's a little out there, so yeah. him doing his Will Ferrell shtick is sticks out less. I mean, honestly, sometimes I forget that it's Will Ferrell when I'm watching this. I'm like, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. But he was the third choice for Megamind. Uh, they first approached Ben Stiller, but Stiller had some kind of other commitment. He has a cameo. Yeah, he has a cameo. He's the actual Bernard. Yeah. They also approached Robert Downey Jr., but this is when he was both doing Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes movies, so yeah, he, he wasn't has, available. Yeah, and I also feel like he just wouldn't have had the right energy for it. I feel like not, I don't know. I don't think it would have been as good of a choice. I suspect they would have tweaked the character to make mm-hmm. it more Downey. That being said... Well, one of DreamWorks' habits when they do their celebrity stunt casting yeah. is that they will hire seasoned voice actors to go in and do scratch vocals for the, you know, the yeah. celebrities to come in and do afterwards, and they won't necessarily tell the professional voice actors that they're doing scratch vocals. So, you know, somebody like Charlie Adler or John DiMaggio would go in and be like, oh, I'm going to be in the next DreamWorks thing. Why is Will Smith's voice coming out of my character's mouth? Yeah, I knew they did that with, like, Hoodwink. When Hoodwink got like. Was Hoodwink DreamWorks? I don't know, but Uh. Hoodwink was originally like a smaller studio, and then like Tara Strong was supposed to be Little Red Riding Hood. The next character I wanted to bring up was Brad Pitt as Metro Man. Bruce Campbell was considered, (laughs) and Metro Man is modeled a bit after him. Yeah, it would have been such a good casting choice. He's got the big old chin, the heroic chin. But the studio really wanted a bigger star than Bruce Campbell, so in comes Brad Pitt. Yeah, but honestly, I do remember the posters and the advertisements for Megamind. They hyped up the fact that it was Brad Pitt in this, even though he's barely in it. You get some of him in the first act, and then you get a little bit at the end when we're getting to the all's lost moment. He's fine. I read that Brad Pitt uh, insisted on using a handheld mic so that he can sort of walk around and gesticulate as he was reading Honestly, his lines I, off. I believe it, and I, I, I do believe that. I think that helps, honestly. So, so at least he wasn't phoning it in. No. Speaking of phoning it in, <laughs> uh, David Cross, who voices Minion, he was in Europe at the time and had to phone his lines in. <laughs> he's kind of fun. I think this was actually my, my first um, exposure to David Cross. I think the first thing I ever saw him in was, like, this bit part in some random 90s sitcom. I think it was Just Shoot Me, where he played, like, a mentally impaired person who was faking it. That that sounds like it's aged like milk. It probably has. 
I didn't see any of the cool David Cross stuff first. I didn't, I didn't get the Mr. Show right off the bat. Not Arrested Development. Yeah, I watched Arrested Development after I watched Megamind. So now, every time I hear David Cross, I'm just like, Tobias, what are you doing here? Yeah, Cross is fine in this. It's clearly yeah. paycheck work, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. I'm fond of that voice. Same. Tina Fey as Roxanne. I like Tina Fey here. I mean, I, I also am partial to Roxanne as a character. I like her character design. I like her big old forehead for obvious reasons. I have a big forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I thought you would have been fond of her cute little bob haircut. Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's a little shorter than I and I like. But I don't know. I like her. Even though she, she kind of does get relegated to the love interest. But she drives much of the plot. I think the filmmakers are very self-conscious about trying to make her not as much as a damsel as everyone's assuming that that character type is. Mm -hmm. Like, they try to give her stuff to do. Like, she's the one who points out the invisible car. She's the one who's assertively researching Megamind's whereabouts. And she's the one who figures out where uh, Metro Man is hiding out. Yeah. Unwittingly, but still. I kind of see Roxanne as epitomizing one of the reasons why these DreamWorks movies don't really work out for me. Mm -hmm. Just that while the dialogue is trying to be quippy, I think I laugh maybe two or three times. Roxanne is saying something that the film is clearly presenting to me is supposed to be like cute and funny or endearing or I'm building a relationship with this other character. Mm -hmm. And it all feels so processed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like the scene where she argues with Megamind when she gets kidnapped. Yeah, that wasn't too bad, where she was able to predict every single, like, little trap or gadget he's about to throw at her. Well, because it kind of characterizes the fact that they've been doing this so much that she's not even phased by being kidnapped. She's just like, yeah, whatever. It's like, because you wash the bag in between kidnappings. And she knows exactly where she is, at least so she's been led to believe. And next up we have in this is uh, Jonah Hill as Hal Stewart slash Titan. This is still fairly early in Jonah Hill's career. He hadn't branched out, hadn't do like Wolf of Wall Street yet. We still mm-hmm. mostly know him as the super bad guy. Yeah. And it clearly brought him in to play like a riff on that. Mm-hmm. Once again, it feels like paycheck work. Whenever he does it, he's playing the obvious role that mm-hmm. people associate with Jonah Hill, especially during that period. Like, it's fine. I don't hate Megamind. It's fine. I love Megamind. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think he's a good casting choice to, um, you know, for playing that character archetype. But yeah, this is still like before he really branched out and did like dramatic work. Last person I wanted to point out is that the warden, very teeny tiny part, but he's voiced by J.K. Simmons. I always forget that it's J.K. Simmons. I'm like, oh yeah, he's in this too. Yeah, fantastic character actor, but because he's a character actor, he gets to be in like a good movie, like one out of every six. Yeah, but I feel like he's starting to, I don't know, be in more reputable things. He's no longer a that guy. He's J.K. Simmons now. Yeah, he's the, I don't want any more of your goddamn lemons. <laughs> Get me pictures of Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the reception for this film, it had a budget of $130 million, which, holy shit. For some reason, I thought it was smaller. I don't know why. Yeah, this thing was expensive. 
It made $321.9 million in the international box office, which is very successful, more than twice its budget, but at the low end of DreamWorks, it did not get a franchise. More on that in a bit. It was buried by Toy Story 3, Shrek Forever After, Tangled, Despicable Me, which has a similar premise, and also a movie I don't like very much. I fucking hate Despicable Me. Jesus. And How to Train Your Dragon. I like that one. Like, out of all the DreamWorks movies, that's the good one. So, yeah, 2010 was a really competitive year for big-budget Hollywood yeah. animated films. Like, a lot of those films have legs. People still care about a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was, you know, running DreamWorks at the time, uh, he commented that a sequel to the film was unlikely. He felt that Megamind was too region-specific in a lot of its tropes. You have to be fairly familiar with the mannerisms of North American superhero comics to understand the world, which isn't going to be wholly applicable to, say, a Chinese audience or an Egyptian audience or a Brazilian audience. And DreamWorks is trying to appeal to as broad a demographic as they possibly can. I think that's why a lot of their films are as bland as they are. Yeah, I feel like Megamind, to me at least, doesn't feel like as bland as some other, like, really, you know, M1A1 recent, you know, animated movies. And I think that maybe one of the reasons why it really didn't, like, get a franchise is that I feel like it's a kid's movie, but I think that a lot of the jokes aren't really aimed at children, Like, I feel like it it has more of an adult sensibility to it. Like, not like it, you know, is a purely adult movie or it's, you know, it doesn't feel like it has been, I don't know, boiled down to be more digestible for kids. Like, there aren't, like, any potty jokes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, there isn't. A lot of it is pretty boilerplate and almost all the jokes and the plot points are telegraphed from a mile away. It's supposed to feel safe and comfortable and familiar to the audiences. Mm -hmm. While I was going over the various synopses for this film even then i was like yeah metro man's not gonna be dead he faked his death to get out of the game didn't he yup yeah i mean obviously he (laughs) faked his death i also think it's interesting is that this came out in 2010 so at this point the marvel cinematic universe was like on its baby legs yeah avengers hadn't even come out they were still figuring things out yeah and i feel like maybe if it had come out now maybe the reception would have been a little bit different because, okay, I'm going to speak purely of my own opinion here. I'm really tired of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and I will eat up anything that is, like, different or, I don't know, looking at a superhero story in a different way. It's why I enjoyed WandaVision a lot, at least the first half of it I adored, and then the more marvel it got, my interest turned down. And I love the boys, the TV show. I mean, I love the comics, but the TV show is vastly superior. Whereas I'm actually pretty fond of the Marvel machine. That being said, I grew up reading those comics. So I I have a personal affinity for those characters. (laughs) And, you know, the Marvel movies are also very formulaic. But I think most of them are at least a B+. Maybe I'm just closer tied to the various tropes and cliches and formula mannerisms that are in the Marvel movies. Whereas the DreamWorks stuff... Not feeling it. And all of those are in here. You got plenty of arched eyebrows. You you got very, very obvious character motivations and also a clear-cut motive that is just Mm -hmm. punching you in the face. The whole bunch of needle drops. You can probably guess what they are. Bad by Michael Jackson, believe it or not. Yeah, I was like, 
like it's dad 80s music. <laughs> Megamind takes over the city to Highway to Hell by ACDC, believe it or not. And yeah, there's still like goddamn dance party ending. And I don't know why I, I, I'm so offended by the dance party ending whenever it comes up. <laughs> well, but I was like, oh, another one. Well, you do realize that's a very old tradition at the end of the Shakespeare plays at the Globe, all the actors would have a jig. Yeah. I, literally, I literally watched the ending of Titus Andronicus after everyone's been turned into pies and there's blood spewing on the audience. All the actors, they come out and hold hands and they did a jig. That should make me like DreamWorks Dance Party ending more, but it, it doesn't. Uh, well, it's history, historical fact time. I mean, I don't like Meg. I mean, I do like Megamind, but I don't like it because it's a DreamWorks movie. I like it because it feels a little bit more unique. And I think it's funny, and I enjoy it. I mean, is that really all that you need to say that you like a movie, is that it makes you happy on some level? Hey, I, I don't want to yuck your yum. Yeah. And to me, this, this is reheated Shrek, except they're wearing capes instead of fairy tale armor. Yeah, oh, well, you know what? I, I promise I won't make us do Shrek. What <laughs> <laughs> Shrek is love. Alright, themes. First thing I wrote down was nature versus nurture, which I assumed was going to be a motif in this, and it kind of is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the implication is that Metro Man was pressed into superheroics without figuring out whether or not it's something he actually wanted to. And he was just kind of, like, pushed into it by the cape equivalent of the stage mom, perhaps. Although we never really learned too much about Metro Man's parents, or anyone's parents. Does Roxanne know anybody besides Hal and Megamind? Apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Megamind winds up thriving when he starts getting positive attention and personal care. He flat out says that he won because he finally had a reason to win while looking meaningfully at Roxanne in case anybody missed that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Tropes are tools. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's that, like, Metro Man, he's not the main character. He's really, honestly, uh, a plot device to get us into place. So, yeah. The one time where, like, we're even acknowledging that Metro Man is just being super selfish is when Roxanne is just hitting him with the guitar and yeah. being like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and it's just, it's standing perfectly still and it's all like just breaking over him like boom and she keeps throwing like progressively larger things at him including hurling a speaker that probably weighs about as much as she does at his head it's the one and only time where someone even thinks about making metro man take responsibility for his negligence Mm -hmm. you know no he gets to hang out in a trench coat at the museum dedication at the end everything's fine yeah and also apparently while this is a superman analog world there isn't like a batman or a wonder woman analog or anybody else running around because once megamind and then titan take over the city that's it yeah but then it would become a different story if those characters existed and had there been a sequel maybe the world would have gotten a little bit bigger we didn't even get any like national guard coming in the rest of the country is like you're on your own that's kind of what they did in harley quinn season Granted, the past four years have made me very cynical, but I'd like to think that if a petty dictator overthrew a major American city, the rest of the country would try to do something. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> 
That uh, makes me want to bring up next bit. Evil Superman. This yeah. is another thing that generally bugs me. What if Superman was evil is actually the go-to premise for every edgelord comics dude bro and comics dilettante. Yeah, uh, they all I... seem to think that they're the first ones to think of it. <laughs> but this is why I pointed out that this is not, I will argue that Megamind is not a what if Superman was evil. So Superman is just kind of tired and yes, we can charge him with negligence. It's more like what would happen if you gave powers, Superman's powers to an incel. And it's honestly covering like a real world issue in a fantastic way. Like think about all of these angry young men who have gone out to kill people because they are entitled to women. They had access to guns, to cars. Look at Elliot Rogers, Alec Manassian, every other angry, I'm gonna, you know, usually white, but not always, man who suddenly has access to powers, aka guns, goes out to hurt people in response. I think that the idea that if we are, what if we gave this person, what if we give, you know, Elliot Rogers here superpowers, would he go on to hurt people and use it to like, I don't know, get the things that he believes that he is entitled to have? Yes. So I understand why you don't like that. What if Superman was evil? Because it is very like, ooh, baby's first cynical comic idea. But well, I wasn't really, mind. yeah, I wasn't really thinking of it yeah. in terms of Titan. Yeah, I was thinking of it more in terms of Metro Man. Yeah, I think he's not evil. He's just negligent. I think he's comparable, like a softer version of Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, where Doctor Manhattan's he, powers. And he wears pants. Yeah, Doctor Manhattan's <laughs> powers eventually mm -hmm. divorce him from humanity, and he has difficulty relating to them, and eventually can't relate to them until he's you know sucked back into it on Mars. And Metro Man's kind of the same way; like he doesn't see the rabble as a thing that he's part of. <laughs> laughing because like him dr manhattan just sitting on mars going i'm tired of these people <laughs> this is turned into like an internet meme although honestly i will say that some of my favorite chapters of watchmen are the ones where dr manhattan is the viewpoint character because i like how it moves back and forth to time okay i like watchmen i know that's such a like baby's basic comic questions not my favorite comic but i like it metro man is mm -hmm. distinguished from the imperial omni man the fascist hyperion the sociopathic brightburn the criminally insane plutonian and the cravenly amoral homelander mm -hmm. he's more of a dr manhattan <laughs> My, my one brief thought about Brightburn, I watched it. I don't know if you did. Nah, yeah, yeah, I wasn't uh, interested. Yeah, um, it was mediocre, and I think it would have been a better movie if it had leaned more into the superhero tropes versus the horror tropes. It just is, it's not even, it's a bad superhero movie, and it's an even dumber and slightly boring horror movie, which I think is its worst sin, that... You could have had fun with some of, like, the superhero elements a little bit more than just having it be your regular old, the child is evil horror movies, which I genuinely tend to hate, because they're all really stupid. I mean, at this point, I think it would be refreshing to stumble across a Superman analog who's kind, responsible, generous, and eager to help out out of a sense of good faith. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty telling that so many people assume that the most unrealistic element of Superman is that after he gets his powers, he decides to be nice. 
Yeah, I like nice Superman, though. I mean, it's actually rare for a Superman analog to make horrific mistakes with good intentions, which I think that could potentially be a much more interesting story than just Superman's evil. I don't know, maybe they will kind of go through that. Are we allowed to spoil The Boys Season 2 on here? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, All right, spoiler alert for The Boys Season 2. Um, I was thinking that maybe they will kind of go through that with Ryan and The Boys because he seems to be incredibly powerful, maybe more powerful than Homelander, and he accidentally kills his mother with his own powers. So he's just a poor, like, kind of traumatized, you know, little boy. You know, he lost his mother. His kind of stepdad really isn't exactly a role model for him. His dad's evil. But I think that hopefully they'll lean into the whole idea that it's not the start of darkness for this little boy, but him really starting to get an understanding about the kind of damage that he could do as he grows up to, you know, hopefully create a good life that his mother would have wanted for him. All right, that's the end of spoilers for the boys. <laughs> yeah, that made me think of, well, circling back to the various Superman uh, analogs, uh, Hyperion and uh, Mark Grunewald's Squadron Supreme Maxi series. That uh, one. I don't think it, which one, what's that one again? Squadron Supreme. Okay, I actually haven't read that one. I've, I've done voice. I read, it was Irredeemable, right? That's uh, Irredeemable is the Plutonian. Okay, yes, that's the one I, I've read. Yeah, Squadron Supreme involves a Justice League putting together a shattered world after horrible natural disasters and they decide well instead of putting things back the way they are why don't we be proactive and try to fix things and they start uh -oh. instituting reforms and then they start making gradual changes and then oops we're fascists <laughs> That's like the one good intentions one that do I can you, think of off the top of my head. Do you like it, though? Uh, it's very Bronze Age. I'd have a hard time recommending it to somebody who isn't already into old-timey superhero comics, but I like it. I mean, I, I am willing to take your suggestion. Uh, yeah. yeah, but another one I wanted to come to was, say, uh, getting back to Alan Moore, uh, his early work on Miracle Man, because Moore's first crack at superheroes in the real world wasn't Watchmen, it was his run on Marvel Man, later titled Miracle Man for copyright reasons. <laughs> That one theorizes that the existence of an earthbound god like Superman would cause major ripples in the criminal justice system, the economy, the world's major religions, and basically every facet of society. Within a decade or two, the world is completely unrecognizable from what it was beforehand, which is a strong contrast to uh, Marvel and DC Comics and their television and film properties, because the world is basically the same, it's relatable to the real world, it has the same pop culture, it has the same politicians. Joe Biden is the president in the Marvel Universe right now, etc. But, you know, if superheroes are around, even a low-level one like the Punisher, that would irreparably change the world forever. Do you recommend, like, Miracle Man? I thought it was very good right, and, and, and interesting. I mean, you know, your mileage yeah. may vary on Alan Moore, but for the most part, I do tend to enjoy what I have read. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think of an uh, argument that Patrick H. Willems made in one of his video essays where he talks about how most fans have determined that Gotham City is in New Jersey. Yeah, of course it is. Which would change a great deal of things. For example, Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm.
if there is a city that's roughly as large and as influential, both in terms of the arts and the economy, as New York in New Jersey, maybe he'd go there instead of New York. Maybe he would never put together the E Street Band. Maybe he'd get killed by the Joker before he took off as a star. Yeah. <laughs> How does the existence of Gotham City and Batman and the Joker mm-hmm. affect the career trajectory of Bruce Springsteen? And that's just one thing. This is a universe where aliens are objectively a real thing. This is the universe where there are shrink rays. <laughs> there is absolutely no way that we'd have the same president. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, butter, the butterfly wing effect. Well, I, don't, I, I mean, it's because uh, I, love, I love Star Trek, but I've always been like a fan of like, what if we looked at this timeline and it was things that were different? Like there's a whole episode in season seven of TNG where Worf just starts because he like, I don't know, he drove through something with the shuttlecraft he wasn't supposed to. He keeps jumping to different parallel universes. Like some of them, it's like a basic change. There's one universe where Data has blue eyes just for no reason. His eyes are blue. And then he starts going into different ones where he and Troy are married. One where Picard was never saved from being Locutus. So Riker's the captain. He's the first officer. And then we've been in like a stunning end scene of the episode. It's worth it just for this scene where they meet another Enterprise and he's like super bearded Riker is like the border everywhere I want don't take me back like I I like I eat that kind of stuff up but I haven't even mentioned the mirror universe so I enjoy that if it's sort of like all right well let's take a look at if Superman was evil or or like what if we looked at this thing and changed it so it's different I mean, I also grew up reading Star Wars tales, too, and those were always wild. Iron Man tech is real, but my microwave looks exactly the same. <laughs> Fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, last point of comparison I wanted to bring up is a very similar comic series to Megamind that I like a lot better called Edison Rex. Uh-huh. It was written by Chris Robertson. That one centers on a Lex Luthor figure who defeats his Superman analog mm-hmm. by revealing that he's not a real alien sent to Earth from a dying world. That's just a cover story. He's actually a Judas goat sent by alien invaders. Unwittingly, he's unaware of this. So when the Superman figure learns about this, he commits suicide because that's the only way to prevent Earth from being invaded by these aliens. <laughs> And this Edison Rex guy, (laughs) he has decided that he is now the protector of Earth since the Superman guy isn't around anymore. So that actually sounds really fun. So yeah, he appoints himself protector of Earth and all of the various superheroes and supervillains of world governments are like, what? And it's him dealing with that and trying to earn the trust of the Wonder Woman and Batman figures. I mean, that sounds fun. I can think it was just the the TV trouble just want to cut Lex Lex Luthor a check. I go, (laughs) he's actually doing some good stuff, I I guess. (laughs) And I was like, Megamind's not going to be as much fun as I had reading this. And no, it's not. No, yeah. I I hadn't heard of it. It does sound pretty fun. I mean, also, I'm like, I mean, I mean, I, I like, you know, what if the superheroes were evil comics? Like, it's just easy for me, but I think it's why this is, you know, we're having fun here, because you and I have such a vastly different opinions. So. I, I think I've encountered too many of them, and I'm jaded now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can't the superheroes be good guys again? No, I like it. No, I think, I think, 
that it, meta, that's fun. I think it's good to kind of play around with tropes. But yeah, I think having a character who's just nice and is a good person, it's refreshing and it's good. And I'm glad that uh, Okoye from Black Panther is going to be around. I guess she's like the one equivalent that I can think of right now that, you know, someone's like, can you make a lawful good character and have them be interesting? And they're like, her. All right, well... I think we've wandered off the track far enough, so Yay! let's wrap this one up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there uh, anything you'd like to add about um, Megamind before we sign off? I don't know. Um, I kind of thought that there was, like, this other movie by DreamWorks, and it had a very like, similar look, but it was, like, Monsters or something. Oh, uh, Monsters versus Aliens, yeah. I think it was called. Yeah. I, I never saw that one. I saw it, and it's nowhere nearly as good as Megamind, so you should just watch it. <laughs> I will take that advice. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.